0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Thanks be to God. That's an easier one to say, that at the end of. Um, You can be seated. Let me just start. um, We're going to kind of end up there, just for the record. Um, uh, This is a little two-part series talking about the power of of grace and the problem of the law. And... um, We're gonna, my plan this morning is to to land in chapter eight right there. So um, we're gonna back up a little bit uh, to where we were kind of in chapter three, four, and five, and um, do a little bit of a survey of some pretty dense parts of the book of Romans. And, you know, I was thinking of an analogy like, as much as I like, would love to just wander through uh, the dense forest of Romans and, like, look at every tiny little branch and leaf. and, and, and structure of the trees, a lot of times we forget that these are letters and, and they're, they were written and just kind of read through. And so we're going to kind of peruse through a few chapters here and, and we may not have time to stop and look at every tiny little detail of every tree, but I hope that we have some orientation to the forest. <laughs> so, so we're not lost uh, in the details and we have some orientation to the forest as a whole. So let me pray for us, we'll back it up, uh, in earlier chapters in Romans and then, um, kind of just walk through as we land and, and finish in Romans chapter eight. So let me pray. Father, it has been, um, just a blessing for me personally to consider uh, the wonderful reality of your grace towards me. Um, what are thinking about just last week and just the the beautiful picture of of the righteousness of god the the transcendent nature of the creator of the universe, the goodness and greatness and glory that we can't imagine in this life gifted to me in and in through your son jesus christ and and Lord, I pray that that same encouragement would just be for those here that we would know. Your love for us. We would know a sense of what we have in and through Jesus Christ and the overwhelming grace that you give to us, Lord. Or as we look at some aspects of the law, as we look at kind of even just starting with the question of what, what, what in the world do we do since you are so kind and so good and so gracious to us, Lord, I pray that you would just give us wisdom, give us soft hearts. Um, More than anything, Lord, orient our thinking towards your glory. Lord, we are not here for ourselves, we are here for you. And yet we benefit so greatly as we orient our hearts and minds towards your glory. So I thank you just for your kindness towards us. Give me wisdom uh, and encourage us in your word this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So yeah, last week we just, um, we kind of ended, we talked a little bit about the righteousness of God, and I'm not going to relive all of that, but just this idea that uh, a lot of times when we think about the Christian life, when we think about like what God is asking of you and I and, and communicating to us, I think we see it on kind of a sliding scale, you know, like, um, man, I was, if I look at my life this week, I was, my wife was on the the, the retreat, so maybe I was more stressed and I was this much Christian as opposed to being this much Christian or whatever. We have this kind of this idea that how good we are is, is sort of like a relative scale. And as we look around at people around us, there's some truth to that. Like I can uh, uh, – there, you know, just was involved with uh, some people who were trafficking children for some interesting situation, you know. Like that's a crazy scenario that I wasn't – you know, I'm not typically taking money to ship children anywhere. So there is this like relative scale that we can like look at with each other and sort of sit there, and there's not it's not totally irrelevant, but when it comes to what God gives us in the gospel, when it comes to why God loves you, when it comes to why God is operating in your, your life is bringing circumstances for your good and for your glory, you have to throw that scale out. Like it's his righteousness. It's the glory and majesty of God that's beyond anything we could compare in this world. The only place you can see, the only genuine place you can see True and perfect righteousness is in Jesus himself. Period. Outside of Christ revealing the nature and character of God, you can't find that righteousness anywhere else. In yourself or in others or in your pastor or in someone you respect. It's only found in Christ. And so God's given you that. Graciously, undeservedly, wonderfully. And so no matter where your sliding scale of anxiety or sin or whatever was in this week or next week or last year or next year, you have been given, if you're in Christ, you've been given the righteousness of God. This is why he loves you, which is why he's working in your life, which is why he's given you the spirit, because of the wonder and glory and majesty of grace, <laughs> And so we ended last week then, after that, and said, okay, well, if that's true, if God has just given us this and gifted us with this wonderful grace, what do we do? Like, what, what's, the, what's the point then of doing good? You know, like, if, if that's why God loves me, if that's why God is determined to work in my life, then sort of ended last week with saying, well, the problem of the law is What's the point of it, I guess? Like, why should I do good things if God has gifted me with this wonderful, ridiculous, amazing grace? And that's kind of the end of chapter three. And we're just gonna be in Romans three. We're gonna go to five and six and seven a little bit. So if you have your Bible, open to Romans and we'll be kind of in that sphere. I'm not gonna really jump around. Uh, uh, But I would encourage you just to follow along. Yeah. so Romans three, we ended. He says, verse thirty-one. He kind of says, "Do we overthrow the law by by this faith, like trusting that God has gifted us all this wonderful, glorious grace and the very righteousness of God?" That he said, "What do we do?" He says, "By no means." On the contrary, we uphold the law. And we didn't really dig into that last week on purpose, because he starts that section by saying, "Like where do we like where's our boasting?" And he says, there is no boasting. It's all, it's all of grace. It's been given to you. There's, there's nothing, there is no boasting in this situation. And so then I think the answer to that question is, okay, what is the point of the law? What is the point of the law if God has gifted us and graced us and given us so many things? What is the point of the law? The, sh- um, you know, the short answer, and I think it's gonna simultaneously make sense and disappoint you. <laughs> the short answer is that the point of the law is for us to glorify God more. The point of the law is for us to see and dwell in and and just orient ourselves around God and his glory. The point of the law is the glory of God. And I think part of us say, okay, well, that makes sense. Everything's... Like there's this this part of me that's like, oh, God's glory, okay, that's what everything is about. Anyways, tell me the like more thing, you know, (laughs) like tick it down a notch from there. And I I think that we have that impulse to say, okay, yes, but because we don't like to orient ourselves around the glory of God. (laughs) Like it just doesn't come naturally towards us. We're like thinking and processing our life and our day and our week around what I want to accomplish, what I want to do, what I feel like should be better. And it's hard. It's like counter our nature to orient what I should be doing and thinking around God's glory alone. Paul says, what becomes of our boasting? If if it's all about God... What becomes of our boasting? And, he, and he's like, it's gone. You don't have any. But he goes on in Romans to tell us that we do boast. And he uses the same words. Our boasting is gone over here. But I think this word boasting and what we boast in is sort of giving us some uh, traction on this idea of what does it mean to have our good works be all about the glory of God. Chapter five, verses one and two. Listen when what he says. Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, since we, since we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, everything we've kind of just been talking about, through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Like you and I now have access to the, the righteousness of God, the, the grace in which we stand in and through Jesus Christ. We have, we have access to this sphere right now. And look at what he says right after that. Because we have access to this grace, I understand? We rejoice, or there might be a little footnote in your Bible. It's actually we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. It's like one of those like Christiany f- phrases that were like, "Oh, great, boast in the hope and the glory of God." Like. How do I do that tomorrow when I wake up? <laughs> and I hope, I, hope to un, I hope as we kind of walk through this, it'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Because God has put us in this position and given us this grace, as he produces good in us, as he is the one who's given us his spirit, as we read in Romans chapter eight, in, in bringing new life. He's the one that's enabling us to do good and wonderful things. We get to see more of his glory. We get to see more of what he's capable of. We get to see more of his character demonstrated in and through our union with Christ. So we're not boasting about I've been saved and now Aaron is the one that's doing all the good things and I crushed it today. But the opposite of that is, oh, I've been saved, now I'm depressed because I didn't do these things today. You're still reflecting it on yourself. God is actually calling us to recognize what he's doing in our lives and boast in what he's doing. Boast in how his spirit has given you life as you obey his commandments. His spirit has given you life. We're gonna unpack this a little bit. Obedience, point one, is obedience is his life in us. Obedience is his life in us. Keep going in chapter 5. Look at verse 9. It says, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, now that, now that we've been justified, now that we, we're, we have access to this grace, much more shall we be saved by his life. Think about this a little bit. Verse nine says, we've been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's like, the way he's talking, and and it goes on to even say, the parallel statement, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved. I think most of us read that, and and if we're thinking about the order of those words, we're like, now that we're saved, definitely we'll be saved. (laughs) Like, like, man, now that God loves us, for sure he'll love us. Because if we've been reconciled, why do we have to worry about his wrath? If we've been reconciled, why do we have to be reassured we'll be saved? it, It just seems like he's saying the same thing. Like, well, now that you've been saved... Definitely, you're going to get saved. You could maybe just write in your notes if you're if you're paying attention, or if you're that kind of. That's funny how that came out. Um, <laughs> uh, if, if you if you want to consider this later, is what I meant to say. Um, I'm not paying attention. Romans chapter one. We won't go there. But you can look at verses 24, you can look at verse 26, you can look at verses 28. He's describing the wrath of God. And he actually says in 18, the wrath of God is being revealed, like currently. Right now, God's wrath is currently being revealed. And the description of that is handing people over to their own wicked desires. I don't know about you. I do know about most of you. (laughs) Um, Being saved didn't change all my wicked desires. (laughs) Being converted didn't mean I no longer ever experience any of the wrath of God allowing me into my own sinful desires. Like Currently, I have thought patterns. Currently, I do actions. Currently, I disobey God in ways that is discouraging to me. I do that. Right. We don't have to raise our hands. (laughs) But, But we do that. Like, we have been reconciled. And Paul is saying, actually, he's continuing to work his life in you. He's continuing to rescue you from the wrath of God even today. He's continuing to help you boast in the glory of God Himself. Let's keep going. Look at chapter 5, verses 15. I'm going to kind of walk through this, because this is this idea that obedience is his life in us is, is important because it's so easy when we obey to credit ourselves. It's so easy when we do the right thing to believe that it comes from me. And if you disagree with that, who do you blame when you do the wrong thing? Yourself. It's just the other side of the same coin. But in fact, for those who have been reconciled, it doesn't say, much more will you then save yourself. He loves you, cares for you, has given you this righteousness so that God could produce his life in you. So that God could produce his life in you and you could boast in the glory of God as he does that. So much I want to say about chapter five, but let's just let's just read this section and I'll make a couple of comments. Fifteen, uh, verse fifteen says, "But the free gift is is not like the trespass." And just listen to what he says after that. He goes, "If many died through one man's trespass, talking about Adam, Adam ruined it for all of us. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many." It's comparing the two. And, and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. The free gift from Jesus isn't like what Adam did. They're, they're very different. For, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, brought death. But the, the free gift following many trespasses, sin is multiplied way more past, the, past Adam and Eve messing it up. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Brought that standing, that right standing with God. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Think about that. Death reigned, ruling and reigning. Amen. I think it's even with the like, with the kids. It's easy when something is. JJ's like, why, why, why? You know, like our kids are like, why, why, why? I was like, because Adam messed it up for all of us. <laughs> it's like the answer for anything where it's like broken. Death is reigning through Adam, so we're here, and this is, you know, no one, no one likes this situation or whatever. It's kind of, kind of, uh, silly with our children, but, but, look, look, death is reigning because of him. He legitimately destroyed the created order in ways that you and I all experience today. There's, think of the power of that. his action thousands of years ago are why you and I are depressed when we scroll the news are why things are broken in the world are we prayed so much for baby Luke Or why you can love your kids so much they can give you the finger. Death is reigning through Adam. But look at what he says Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Much more. through the one man, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to kind of unpack this a little bit. Therefore, 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, one act of light, righteousness, one act of righteousness, one, he's assuming everything that Christ has done, right here, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, this thing that Jesus did, leads to life, leads to justification and life. Justification and life for all men. Life. Look at what he parallels that to. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. That's life. Life is your God working his righteousness, your obedience in you. He's doing that. Obedience is God's life in us being manifest for us to see, experience, thank him for, glory in. Like, kind of, he sums it up in chapter six, verse one. Just a few verses here. He goes, "Well, what, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that, that grace may abound? Like, like if, if grace is so much more powerful, every time every time death is reigning and, and grace is coming in in a, in a bigger and a greater way to produce life, do we just like sin it up then? <laughs> to to see God demonstrate more grace?" He goes, no way, by no means. Emphatically, no. He goes, how, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And he, and he goes back to what Jesus has done to change us. To If we've been given the righteousness of God, that's what the free gift is, right? Amen. The righteousness of God, which is Jesus Christ himself given to you you're united with him. This is where this is coming from. This is what's given you this place to stand, uh, that, that why we have access to this grace because he's given you Jesus himself. He reminds us of that. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, like immersed into him, were baptized into his death and we were buried therefore with him? Like these are the, the, the good, right, and beautiful things that Jesus has done that we experience in. We were buried with him, therefore uh, oh, in order that, so all of that happened in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. New life. And he kind of goes on, and we won't go on, but he kind of goes on to say, this is why he rose from the dead. Like he is living a life now to God, Jesus, currently today, in a new resurrected body, pouring out the Holy Spirit so that you and I could have life, so that you and I could have obedience to God, so that you and I could do things that we were never capable of before, so that we could say, Look what God does. Look who gets the credit and the glory and the honor and the majesty. Our obedience is his life in us. Point one was intentionally long because I wanted to lay the foundation. Think of it like a pyramid. (laughs) So we'll shrink it as we go. This is really, this is just, it is like the foundation. Like, this is the really important thing that you and I, as we think about the law, as we think about obedience, you have to understand that it's God working through you. And if we understand that, you might be thinking, okay, okay, cool, um, it's God, he's working through me. Um, I wish he would do that here. (laughs) Or why am I still struggling there? It's, it's like one of those things that kind of sounds good, right? Like, oh, man, I've been rescued from sin, Satan, and death, and in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I have to deal with my inbox, you know, or whatever thing at work. Now I have to struggle with my child. Now I have to do a bunch of homework, you know, like, and I, nah, yeah, there's just, if it's true that obedience is his life in us, it is also true that obedience, it's a battle. It's a battle. Because there's two forces at work in you. There are two forces at work in you. Obedience is a battle because there's two forces at work. Look at what he says and Paul describes this battle in chapter seven. We'll start in verse seven. He says, What what shall we say then? That the that the law is sin? He's like, Well, he's basically saying, Look, every time the law comes up, everything inside of me just wants to like break it. And the best example is I literally, when I don't want my kid to do something, the last thing I tell him is not to do it. Because if he isn't paying attention, he just won't do it. But if I'm like, hey, buddy, whatever you do, don't do this. And he's like, <laughs> we, when, when, when God's law comes to us, there's something inside of us that just wants to break that law. So is the law sin? Because no, 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 no. It's like, yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. And look at this. Let's try to follow what he's saying here. Verse eight says, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. It's like, it's not agitated let's say i I was once alive apart from the law but when the commandments came sin came alive and i died the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me so that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteousness is good did that which is good then bring death to me by no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. He says, it was sin producing death in me through what is good. You and I still live in the flesh. And I don't mean that like, Someday we won't have a body. Another way to put it is, you and I still live in this first broken creation. That's where we live. That's who we are. In the flesh. But at the same time, is the, the sinful flesh is finding the law and looking for ways to bring you down. The sinful flesh is... Seeing what God wants and rejecting that. The sinful flesh is wanting anything but the boast and the glory and majesty of God. The sinful flesh is going out of its way to cooperate with the world and the devil to pull us away from the presence and glory and majesty of God. Something else is at war with the sinful flesh in us. Look at what he says. says, for we know the, the law is spiritual, and he's kind of talking about the law still. But, but I am under the flesh, sold under sin, kind of just a reminder of our, what I just said. For, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You have to be able to sympathize with that a little bit. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Maybe I think the very thing I hate. Maybe I feel the very thing I hate. Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. Like the frustration we feel not obeying is evidence that you and I would rather in some part of our Being obey. Because we see it as a good thing. And we're frustrated and annoyed and depressed and angered when we can't. Because we see it as a good thing. Verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Think about that. It's no longer I who do it. The sin. What in the world, Paul? <laughs> you just said you do it. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Talking about that, that, that first reality. For I, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I want, I want to do the right thing. I just don't have the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if, do, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, sin that dwells within me. It's sin that's dwelling within you. It's a battle. Obedience is a battle. With the sin that's, it's not you. It's with the sin that's dwelling in you. Verse 24, he's like, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If you've wrestled with your sin, if you've battled with the part of you that is doing anything but obeying God, you have to have felt this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Obedience is a battle. The good news. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The battle that we have in obedience is frustrating, is defeating, is depressing. But the reality that we have that battle is proof that there's another force at play. The fact that you would have that battle with your own sin is evidence that there's something else Working in you. That, that God is bringing his life. Is, is dwelling in you. And waging war. Against sin inside of you. That wants nothing but to pull you away from the glory of God. And here's my last point. Obedience. Obedience is a certainty. Is a certainty. Obedience is a certainty. This has been said a bunch of different ways in church history as people have wrestled with this law and gospel dynamic. But let me put it this way. If you're thinking to yourself, there's no way it's a certainty because it's such a struggle. Or you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but I can't do X. Or I haven't been able to deal with this. Or I haven't... I, I, I'm still struggling here. It seems like nothing it doesn't seem like a certainty. If you're if you're struggling to, to see that obedience is a certainty just experientially, I think what Roman Romans eight is saying is if you're not justified, if you're not been given the righteousness of God, there's no life. But if you are justified and you have been given the righteousness of God, there is life. There is life. That puts us in a little bit of an uncomfortable place sometimes as Christians. Because there are passages, and scripture does say, to examine ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith. I think there's, there's, a, there's an aspect in which we want to say, have, have I genuinely been given the righteousness of God? Like, that's an okay question to ask. You know, I, I know most of you personally, that's not the, where I'm going. I think that the other issue is that we have been given the righteousness of God, but we don't have eyes to see the life that he really is producing in you. You don't have eyes to see the life that God is certainly, absolutely producing in you. Chapter eight. I want to read a little bit of that. What we kind of started with. So you know what we'll just. Go to jump to chapter 8, verse 11, because I think this makes the point strongly as we need to make it. If the spirit of him, verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. That's not like a might clause like subjunctive I think that's a Greek grammar term That's not a he might he might give life to your mortal bodies he will he will and this is the reality of what he compares that to is like resurrection it's like if well I guess if Jesus wrote. I mean he probably rose from the dead you know I think <laughs> that's not where we're at right here I know all of, we're like, he has risen. He is risen indeed, and I can say that every Easter and I get right back. JJ can say that. <laughs> no, no one's denying that reality. But do you have the same confidence? Do you have the same confidence in the resurrection that the Spirit accomplished, that God is producing life in you? Why do we doubt that? Why do we think that our obedience is a maybe? Why do we think that righteousness in and through us is like not certain? We do. I know we do. It's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in you. He isn't struggling to get you to honor God. (laughs) You know, like, oh, this is so hard. I was dwelling in this person over here and it was easy. But now that I'm dwelling in this person, it's so hard to get them to produce life. That's not where he's at. If you're struggling to see, if you're struggling to see where God is producing life in you, I would encourage you to ask someone that you trust to help you see that. Sometimes you're sitting down and asking God to open your eyes and see where he is at work. This can be very encouraging. He's producing life in you. Maybe another way I was thinking of another way to kind of think of this. where in your life do you not struggle? Because we all kind of have things we're sort of proud of, right? where it's like, man, this part of my week, God, help me produce life. I was killing it over here, which is why I'm not praying about it. (laughs) That's God producing life in you. That's not you. If we're giving him credit only where we can't do it, then of course we're not recognizing where he's obviously using the Spirit to produce life in us. I know some of you are wonderful husbands in love and care for your wife in amazing ways that ladies would be envious of if they really had a picture inside of your home. That's not because you're so great. That's the spirit generating life in you. you, Does that life he generates in you orient us towards the glory of God? Is that what our boast is? Is that our thinking? Is that like our mindset? Do we see the good works that God is accomplishing in us and praise him and thank him and give him glory for that? We can, because that's Jesus at work in you. I think more often that you and I are focused on the fleshly parts of our own failure. (laughs) Where sin is producing wickedness in us. That's That's where we gravitate towards. Maybe I'm the only one. Seems like that's the case from conversation. And we don't recognize where God is actually producing life. And even in Romans, he goes on to say, those of us who are dwelling on what the Spirit is doing, guess what that tends to do? (laughs) Uh, Produce more of that. Generate more life. Because it's helping orient our thinking and our focus Our works, our our righteousness, our relative righteousness, the obedience to the law, it's orienting that more around the glory and majesty of God. If I'm inclined to think more highly of myself when I accomplish things, do you think God wants to improve you if he loves you? Probably not because you're more obsessed with yourself. But if I'm inclined to give him more glory and praise him and worship him and recognize where he is producing life, do you want to bet he wants to make more do more of that? He's obsessed with his own glory. As he should be. My favorite quote from my old pastor is: God has a God complex. Because he should. <laughs> the problem is when we have those complexes. So I'm just, I think what I'm, you know, I'm ending here. Grace is powerful to to humble us. We talked about that last week. It's also powerful to produce life in us, just like it's powerful to raise Jesus from the dead. And I think the problem with the law isn't, well, what do we do? The problem with the law is we take that and point it back to ourselves. And the Spirit is the one producing life. The Spirit is the one who's enabling us to love or to, to honor God with our work to be motivated, to be caring, to be kind, to be gentle. All of those things are coming from the Spirit, producing them in you. And God is saying, orient your heart there. Give me glory and honor there. And I'm gonna just produce more of that. I really think as a church if we can encourage each other to believe that the same Spirit who, maybe with the same confidence in the Spirit's ability to raise Jesus from the dead as he did in him to produce life in those around us, and we encouraged each other with that, that he would just keep producing more because we'd worship him and praise him and glorify him more because that's the point of the law, our obedience for his glory. Let's pray.